Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, Managing Editor of Pro Basketball Talk and the NBC Sports NBA page with you, as always. And today, we've got Jessica Camarado from NBC Sports Philadelphia to talk a lot of Sixers and get into detail about both their slow start and where they're going, their potential, as well as I think we're going to have to talk a little bit of the Phoenix Suns and what's going on there. But first, just a reminder, if you like this podcast, please go into iTunes, subscribe, comment there. You can also, of course, find us on Stitcher and at the NBC Sports webpage where you can find, well, the podcast for football, fantasy sports podcasts, a lot of great stuff and a lot of great content out there. Well, and let's get into all of this now with, look, one of my favorite people to hang out with around the NBA, Jessica Camarado from NBC Sports Philadelphia. How are you today? I'm good. That is a very lovely introduction. Very flattering. Thank you. Oh, you, you, look, you are one of the good people and one of the fun people to hang out with when we're uh, when we're stuck in Vegas for entirely too long during summer league and and all of, <laughs> all the rest of it. And hopefully, you know, soon enough, you'll we'll be running into each other in the playoffs because you'll be f- traveling to those games as well. So, uh, knock on wood for Sixers that's, fans. That's the Sixers plan. Yeah, that is the plan, and we're going to get into that and talk about that. But and I think part of that plan starts with something that ties into other NBA news. Uh, obviously, Earl Watson out as coach in in Phoenix. Eric Bledsoe could be on the well, not could be. They'll, looks like they will be trading him. They are shopping him around as of us taping this. Um, it's interesting because the Sixers are sort of. You know, I mean, I should say the Suns were sort of in the same boat, and that that's clearly a rebuilding team, and that had some assets. They have some nice young players. I mean, like Devin Booker's quite good. Josh Jackson has a lot of potential. There's some nice young players there. Maybe Marquise Chris or uh, Dragon Bender can be something. But there wasn't real good cohesion around that team. Like, they're just, they weren't good on offense. They, they, they were lost on defense. And I've got to say, for all the Sixers losing over the years, if you watch them play, they played hard for Brett Brown. Like, as he had... Through all the losing, through the lack of talent, he really did establish a culture and a system that they're trying to capitalize on now, didn't he? Yeah, it was different. I mean, when you used to watch the Sixers, even during those the losing years, it was like, okay, but you see pieces developing, and it always felt like there was an end game to what they were doing, and then you saw the, the draft picks come to fruition, and the number one picks, and then you're able to eventually land a free agent like J.J. Reddick, like... There was, it wasn't immediate, but there was a long-term projection as to how this would go. It's a different situation with the Suns, and the Sixers are unique to a lot of young, rebuilding teams in the league where, you know, you look at the Suns and you're like, I I see what's going on, I see the struggles, I see the potential, like the player that you mentioned, but I'm not quite sure where this is going in two, three years, whereas the Sixers, you're like, all right, I can kind of envision where this will be in 2019. Yeah, exactly. And from the start, 
that team played defense even before Joel Embiid was playing and, and obviously helps on that back end and all of that. They played hard on defense. There was a system there. There was a culture being built that allows them a foundation for what's going now. And I think that's part of the reason that Brett Brown was never let go. I mean, he wasn't expected to win, but he was expected to kind of lay that foundation, and it happened. He wasn't expected to win, but he was expected to keep the team together and keep the locker room moving forward and looking forward. These guys understood what was going on. A lot of the guys on the Sixers last year and a few years ago we're happy to have an opportunity in the NBA. And then you see now with the Robert Covington, with the TJ McConnell, what a phase like what the Sixers went through can lead to and the opportunities that can be creative, created. But everybody has to be on the same page and, and everybody has to understand, like, it's not working out now, but if we stick through it, if, if I'm TJ McConnell and I push through this and I fight for that point guard spot, that there is like a light at the end of the tunnel and, and a bigger picture. Yeah, and, and they're getting there now. That bigger picture, like you said, they, part of it includes their goal is to make the playoffs this year, correct? Yeah, they have been candid about it. We want to make the playoffs. Like, that has what that team has been, players and, and the team has been reiterating. So they are, you know, years away from being a championship contender, but they are trying to take the first step into being a playoff team. And in the East, anything is possible in the East, right? Like, this could be like a... <laughs> A YMCA team down the street maybe compete. And that's where the Eric Bledsoe thing gets interesting, just because the teams that are mentioned in there looking for him, the Bucks, who I kind of think were probably a playoff team anywhere anyway, like however good you thought, whether they took a step forward or not, the, the Bucks were a team also on the rise in the East who were probably going to be a playoff team. Um, but he would certainly make them far more dangerous in the East because he adds a, somebody who can run the second unit and somebody who can work off the ball. The Knicks get mentioned. That's an interesting landing spot. I mean, obviously, they've got Porzingis. They've got some struggles there, but they're 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 look. The Knicks' point guard rotation is genuinely horrid. So you bring in Eric Bledsoe, and that's a step forward for them. As you know, I I don't know if their goal was to make. I'm sure they said their goal was to make the playoffs this year. We'll see. But Bledsoe would move them along that line. So and you know we'll see where else he lands. But if he lands somewhere else in the East, he can certainly change the balance of power there. He's still a good player. I thought when the season, in the summer when the season started, the Sixers would be the seventh seed. When you look at teams that have dropped out of the playoffs, yeah. you look at the Pacers, the you know the Hawks, and the Bulls. And so now there's a window of opportunity for new teams to sneak in. And you're right. If Eric Bledsoe goes to a team that's kind of on the verge, or maybe because look in the East, you, you probably don't need to be like that much more than 500 to land in the bottom in the bottom of those playoff matchups. So if you do have a, play, a player like Eric Bledsoe to just kind of get you over the edge enough, that could maybe push a surprise team who right now doesn't seem like a playoff contender into one of those lower seeds. And then you look at a team like, a, like the Sixers, who's in for a tough battle. They're going to be, you know, flying in down the stretch trying to make it into the playoffs. A player like that could shake things up. I mean, you have to look at the balance and the imbalance as each team moves up and down and kind of like their power rankings in the East. Yeah, and they uh, Sixers are off to a little bit of a rough start. I mean, an 0-3 start heading into the Monday night game in Detroit. Now, granted, those losses are to what were supposed to be three of the top teams in the East. In Boston, even without Gordon Hayward, uh, your hometown Celtics, that's still a good team. Like, that's still the, they still got Kyrie Irving. They still got Al Horford. Like, that's still a good team in Boston. Then you've got, you know, uh, they played Cleveland, and um, they're um, Toronto. I mean, these are the top teams in the East, 
I don't know how much we read into that. Throw. How are they feeling? Is there some frustration there? Or are they kind of looking big picture? I mean, these guys want to win. Nobody's happy. Nobody feels content about losing. But that schedule to start the season, that's brutal. Because yeah. you've mentioned the teams that they've already played. These Eastern Conference contenders, you know, top-tier teams in the East. We haven't even gone on to what's about to happen when they play when they face Western Conference teams. I mean, this first half, these two months, October and November, they are tough. They are these teams are going to be unforgiving, and these are teams that have already got their stuff together. Going up against the Sixers team that's still very much trying to figure things out. They're a lot further along than they were before, but there's still a lot of things they need to work out. I kind of look at their schedule as two different halves: first half, and then after the All Star break. After the All Star break, it's going to be very Eastern Conference heavy. They're getting the, the you know the tougher teams almost in a way out of the way first, but. We'll see what that means in the long run for the playoffs. I think in the end, you know, yeah, you struggle to start the season, but you build momentum in the second half of the season when your con- when your uh, when your schedule is is lighter and your competition isn't as tough. Then you can go in and make the push. But the expectations for the Sixers on the season are high. But to start the season, they have to be different. People have to be patient and understand. Like, look what you're going up against in relation to the current state of your team. Yeah, exactly. And they've with that, I mean, they've had some issues on... I thought their defense would be a little better. The offense was going to struggle as it kind of tried to find its way. And look, Ben Simmons has been... We'll get more into him in a minute. He's been impressive as a rookie, but but he's a rookie. Like, there's going, you know, there's going to be some limitations to what he's going to be able to do to start off. But the defense hasn't quite been where Brett Brown had wanted it. And I think that this comes back to what we said at the start, what he's done well that, that you know, Earl Watson was not able to do in, in Phoenix is kind of keep the team together and keep them going. He's going to have to have this team kind of motivated and on the same page. And like you said, realizing what's going on as they improve and not getting too down the first part of the year. Yeah, and to your point about the defense, I mean, the defense has to improve. They, they only lost by five points to the Wizards on opening night. But the fact of the matter was, when you look at that score, how high scoring that was, you don't want to just have to get into like a scoring match. You want to try to, you know, the numbers have to be lower, under 100 points a game. I mean, that's what, they're giving up a ton of points. And while Joel Embiid is the best defender on the team, obviously it's a defensive anchor, he can't be the guy all the time. You point to Robert Covington, who is a, is a yeah. very strong defender as well. They need more than that. So guys are going to have to step up and figure out all their new roles, with all these funky matchups they're doing with a 6-foot-10 point guard and the switching and the things like that. But they're going to have to figure it out because you can't rely on Joel Embiid to be your defensive guy when he's not even playing every game. And then you can't put it all on Robert Covington. That's what had been happening in the past. They need more players to step up. Well, let's talk about Embiid for a minute. He's sounded frustrated. And uh, he, the good news is his minutes limit has been, you know, the teens minute limit has gone away. He seems to be playing in the mid-20s most most nights. They're not playing him on back-to-backs. And, and frankly, I get why he's frustrated, but I also think that's probably the smart move for the Sixers in the long run. They still have to think big pictures for him. But to me, and you're closer to him, he just sounds like a guy who wants to be unleashed. He just he just <laughs> wants to play and get out there and go, and he's feeling held back. go pay him an astronomical amount of money and he's complaining because he wants to do what he's being paid to do. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> he's not, he doesn't want to be rested. He wants to go to play as much as he can. The minutes thing, 
it's really not as as drastic as it seems like it was going to be. You know, starting the season, it was like, oh my gosh, 16 minutes, really, is that it? And now we're, we're seeing it's more than that. Yeah. Back-to-back still are, are something that they're working through. He's not cleared for them right now. They play 14 sets of back-to-back. I would expect, you know, I thought maybe like, he'd be cleared for one or two, just to see how he could handle them, because at some point in his career, he's going to have to play them. But he's still very much finding his rhythm. When he's on the court, he's, there's not a tight minute restriction. Brett Brown has used the word parameter and range, but he's still being monitored and watched. And, you know, they're measuring things like trips down the court and keeping a very close eye on him. So he's going to need to get into a rhythm. And if he's not just fully unleashed, he's going to just have to work within the, the parameters that he's given. But he was frustrated after the game against the Celtics. He said that he wanted the ball more in the post. He took a lot of three-point shots that he basically had to go far away from the basket to get his own opportunity. So the Sixers are going to have to work on that. When you have two guards like Ben Simmons and Marcel Fultz who are attacking the basket so much, barely shooting outside of the paint, you still need to create opportunities at the basket for Embiid. Yeah, I I could say I wrote after this, and um, for people who didn't see it in our our morning kind of wrap-up, but I think he had... A really valid point. He has had uh, nine post touches through. Uh, well, I think twelve post touches through two, two games. Nine touch. No, nine post touches through two games. I'm looking at it now. That's. I mean, again, Boston rolled out Bain, so they had a big guy down there that night. But most nights, he's going to complete. Especially teams that are going smaller, or even a Cleveland or somebody, he's going to completely overwhelm them inside. Like he's just bigger and stronger and can get these buckets inside. And if you have to go a little Dwight Howard with him and just, hey, we're going to start the game by getting him some touches in the post to establish that that's not a bad thing. He's terribly efficient down there. He's averaging 1.33 points per possession down there. He's shooting 67%. You've got to get him the rock down there. And then, like you said, you've got these other guards who can create off of that. Plus, J.J. Reddick's running around out there off 47 screens and wearing his man out, and he's going to knock down shots. Yeah, the reason why you got somebody like J.J. Reddick is for that reason. You didn't get J.J. Reddick so that Joel Embiid can attempt five three-point shots a game. You got J.J. Reddick for J.J. Reddick to do that. It's funny because when you talk about, like, Embiid is being guarded by this guy and that guy and Aaron Baines, and Aaron Baines is a, you know, he's huge. He's, what, like 6'10", Yeah, he's a big boy. He's so, like, he's, there he is at the basket. Embiid is still bigger than that. Yeah. Right before the season started, he, he estimated that he weighed between 280 and 285 pounds at over seven feet. So there's very few players who, when you say, well, uh-oh, the other team is rolling out that center, that Embiid can't compete against. What I would like to see is if he finds himself open on the three-point line, you don't have to pull up for that shot. He is so efficient at drawing fouls. He is so yep. crafty and savvy. I mean, a very smart basketball player. Just because you're on the three-point line and you have the ball and you're open, maybe drive, try to make something happen, draw some contact. So even if he finds himself not getting those looks on the post, I'd like to see more of him trying to create his own shot versus just settling for a three-point shot because it's there. I mean, he said before his last game that his three-point shot was crashed, and then he still took a bunch of three-point shots. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely taking more of those than you're comfortable with, especially considering the people around him. And you're, you know, you're at you're at the games and plus doing studio work this year, right? Yes. 
A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. By the way, a where... lot of bit, of, a lot of bit of everything. A lot of bit of everything, which is good. I, you know, like you, like I said, you're one of the really great ones. By the way, where can everybody follow you on Twitter? I don't think we got to that at the start, like I meant to. Uh, new Twitter handle: Dave Camarado, NBCS. Yes, part of the new NBC Sports packaging of things. It's it's no longer Comcast. Everything is NBC Sports, and in this case, Philadelphia, which has a lot of great Sixers content. And you guys got to do a great studio show as well. And you've like we said, there's a lot to talk about with this team. We haven't even gotten to Ben Simmons yet, who has been what he's been phenomenal to start the season. I think as a rookie, I mean, 15.7 points and 10.3 assists a game. Not as efficient as I think he will be, but he's what I've really been impressed with with him is he's just not rushed. If you watch the other rookies and I've, I'm, you know, I'm out in LA, so I've watched in person a lot of Lonzo Ball, but you know, on TV as well, but you watch Dennis Smith Jr. and all these other rookies, they're just, the game is moving fast and they're trying to move fast. He is really plays at his own pace and has a great patience and feel for the game already. Yeah. He's a rookie technically, but the term that Brett Brown used for him that I, I thought is very true is an advanced rookie. Yeah. Had all of last season to be with the team to watch the games, to sit on the bench and watch this live game action, even though he wasn't in it. And there's no comparing watching a game from the bench and actually being in it, especially when you're running the floor. But he has a much better understanding of the actual NBA game than, than these rookies did. I mean, he had an entire year to get used to everything and be around the players. He's very poised. And that's what has impressed me the most, was that he just looks very confident out there. His ball handling skills and his court vision are as good as advertised. And now we'll have to see, you know, how he develops that shot. He attacks the basket and talks about more, um, more than maybe is the best fit for the Sixer system. But so far, he, like you said, he doesn't look rushed. It looks like he just he feels like, you know, I, I got this. This isn't overwhelming to him. No, not at all. And he and Embiid seem to be developing a chemistry. Like they're they and full and Fultz is in there. Markel Fultz is in there as well. They seem to be, they were working out together this summer. They seem to be trying to make this work. Yeah, they're two young guys. They understand their role in the future of the team, and they want to make this work. And going back to the point of the time that he had with the team last season, it's just little things that kind of fly under the radar, but are actually really important. He developed a really close relationship with Jared Bayless last season while they were both rehabbing from injuries. Bayless only played three games because of his wrist. And during that time, they not only developed this rookie to you know veteran player bond, but they're now sharing the court together. They already have a chemistry. They're starting in, in the one-two combination for the Sixers. That's so key to have you know a full year to carry that over. So. Simmons, you're right. He is bonding with the players, and, and they'll try to bring, you know, Fultz into the mix, obviously, as the season goes along. But team chemistry with those newly constructed team is very important. Yeah, Bayless was one of the guys. We'll move him up in my conversation list here. He was certainly one of the guys I wanted to talk about. He's had a really nice start to the season for them as a guy who can just kind of get buckets, knock down open shots, and makes the, the just the smart play. Yeah, you know, it always, it always surprises me because you follow social media during the games and things like that when, and, you know, not when there's not games. And there's a lot of people that are like, why is Bayless playing? Fultz should be starting. And I think it's going to be that, you know, comparison of Fultz versus Bayless. I like Bayless in that starting lineup. It just gives you that veteran calm that that backcourt needs. I mean, him and Redick are so critical to yeah. playing alongside these younger guys. And Brett Brown has said that he wants them in there because he wants his younger players to understand how to start games. And aside from what 
Bayless can do, you know, offensively and things like that. He has the versatility. He plays one and the two. People like him and J.J. Reddick are key just to play alongside a Joel Embiid and a Ben Simmons so they can get that real in-game experience and aren't just relying on the coach on the sideline. Yeah, exactly, very much so. And we talked a little bit about Fultz. He's coming off the bench. Um, you, you, you can see all the tools. I think he's still trying to figure out exactly how to make them fit in the NBA, but he was always going to be kind of that way, I think, just the nature of his game was going to... It was going to take him a little bit of time to, to figure things out. The, obviously, the big concern is his shot went wonky. It's a... That free throw stroke is not pretty that he's, he worked on. And, and I know that they're they're working on him with that, right? They've got him with a shooting coach? Yeah, well, he's dealing with shoulder soreness, and that's definitely affecting his shot. And, you know, when you get an injury and it's something that's as, as critical as that that affects how you shoot the ball, it's going to kind of linger. They are not concerned to the point where they're, they're looking to shut him down or have him rest. Personally, I think it's just something that he needs to play through because you see him attacking the basket. You see him looking aggressive to get to the basket. So you start to think like, all right, well, is it physically, is it that bad if he can still drive and draw contact against bigger NBA players? Is it just something where it's in his head and he just needs to battle through it? So I think the Sixers are being smart with having him come off the bench, barely played in the preseason. This allows him, as we talked about, you know, with Simmons watch the flow of the game, see things before he has to get in there and do it. And he's going to be in an, um, a really fluid role because he can't play the one, he can't play the two, and it all depends on who he's playing with. So, again, like Simmons, not taking a ton of outside shots. I think that will be progressing as the season goes on. But right now, Markel Fultz's shoulder is a huge topic of conversation in Philadelphia. Yeah, and uh, understandably so. Hopefully, um, this isn't something like you said. This isn't something they're planning to. There's no surgery or anything, but more than that, they're not. They're not sitting him, right? They're just. He's going to play through it. Yeah, he's playing through it. He's been coming off the bench. I mean, when a guy's a number one pick, and not only a number one pick, but the team trades up and then trades away a pick to get him, you think he's probably going to be a starter. But that isn't the way it played out. His injuries, you know, it just wasn't. It wasn't the best decision to have him start with such little such little NBA experience. And it's funny, because kind of as we're going through this podcast, we're talking about all the kinks that they do need to work out. And at the same time, I, I, I think it's important, too, to realize, like, there is a lot of potential oh, here. Yeah. You have a lot of young pieces, and everybody just has to kind of figure out how to make it all work, because individually, both has his shoulder, and B has his minutes. He's trying to work everything out, and these players are all trying to figure out how to play together. It's going to be a work in progress for the team. So the potential is much higher than it's been in the past. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, for a first time in a long time, it started a little bit last year. This is a fun team to watch again. Like, if you flip them on on League Pass or they're on the national game, it's an entertaining show, which it, it really wasn't for years. There wasn't a lot of good reasons to watch them. It, right now, this is fun basketball to watch, even when they're losing. These are, these are dramatic games. Oh, yeah, you know, opening night, it was a playoff yeah. atmosphere at the Wells Fargo Center. I you know, show up to the arena, the game's at 7, get there a little over three hours before the game starts, and there's already people in the parking lot tailgating. I mean, I don't, I don't know when the last time that happened was. So people are definitely into it. All during the summer, I would notice, you know, you start, like, just walking down the street, seeing more and more Ben Simmons jerseys popping up, and, and, uh, and Joel and B jerseys popping up. And then, you know, like, when you're covering a team that's on the on the rise, 
start getting a lot more text messages, like <laughs> friends and family are all of a sudden a lot more interested in what's going on with the team. So there's definitely a much higher interest level this season. Definitely. And they made some great moves over the summer. I love uh, getting Johnson and J.J. Redick. And not just because, look, you know, like we were saying, those veteran guys on the floor, Redick can obviously shoot with the best of them. But you talk about two consummate NBA professionals who worked, who came into the league, in Redick's case in particular, like, oh my gosh, he was one of Duke's all-time greats. I hear, you know, like this gunner who the ball flowed through his hands and he had to realize how to work on his conditioning and his body to get it in shape, to accept the role as kind of an off-the-ball sharpshooter. He had to put in so much work over so many years to become who he is now. And he did. He put in the work. He is now a, you know, he's making a lot of money. He's good for him for getting paid this year. But this is the kind of influence I think that they really want in that locker room to say, hey, young kids, this is how you become a professional in the NBA. This is what you have to do to really succeed. Yeah, the veterans that they have in that locker, I mean, look at Amir Johnson and Jared Bayless and J.J. Reddick. These aren't players that have their careers handed to them. They're, they're not number one pick. This is not, you know, like years from now, Ben Simmons goes into a locker and Markel Fultz, like, they were number one picks. These guys were not in that situation. So they can teach them about the professionalism, about the work ethic and the things like that, that it takes. And also, too, it's a good step for the Sixers moving forward. That J.J. Redick signing was huge. I have been saying for what felt like years before free agency started, that is the guy they need to get because that's the type of player that can draw other people. I'm sure there were free agents around the league when they saw that signing. They were like, oh, all right, maybe I'll look at the Sixers a little differently if, yeah. if Redick is going to go there and things like that. So it's a great addition, as well as Amir Johnson. I know that, you know, he's been starting. He's not like, he's not your starter of the future. And I think if Rashawn Holmes was healthy, he would be getting more of those minutes. Quite frankly, I'm kind of Amir Johnson doesn't even, it's like the, one of the last guys off the bench. This is no knock on Amir. It's just that his presence to the team is so impactful. Like, he doesn't have to be on the court to make a major impact on this team. Just being a guy on the bench, being a guy in the locker room, of course he can, you know, he can play, but he doesn't have to play like 30 minutes or 20 minutes to justify why he's on this team. No, not at all. Uh, where does Dario Saric fit into this? He, he Not a lot of minutes. The first night he's had more sense. I mean, is this going to be a rotational thing? Where, the, where do they fit him into this? Yeah, his role is shifting this year because last year, you know, he established that starting power forward position, and that that's a different story. This year, he was that offensive go-to, and it was it was great experience for him in the second half of the season. He had a very long summer. He basically played international competition up until a week before training camp started. He showed up in Philadelphia a day before media day. I mean, like imagine just how much basketball he's played. So he took some time in the preseason to get some rest, and actually take a minute to unwind. And his role is different this year. He's coming off the bench, and I think he could be a really strong sixth man for this team once they gel and figure everything out. But now with this center position, without Rashawn Holmes, you have another need for another body. So they're actually playing Sarich as a smaller center. And that's an adjustment. That You know, that's a big adjustment for anybody. I think once he can actually just stick in that backup four spot, we'll see a lot more production. Yeah. And the other guy that I wanted to ask about was Jaleel Okafor. Where, I, obviously we all know he's been shopped 
pretty heavily and, and probably eventually will get moved. Where does he stand right now? I mean, what is how is he taking all this, and where is he fitting into the rotation? Where would any podcaster interview be if we did not talk about the uncertainty of the future? <laughs> I was required by law to actually ask you that question. It's just like you can copy and paste it probably from like the last, you know, 50 interviews he's done about the Sixers. It's still an ongoing situation. What I am surprised about is I kind of thought they were going to revert back to what they did last year, that when Embiid didn't play, Okafor got the start, and we saw that didn't happen. So this is somebody that had it up until the other night hadn't played basketball since March, and then he's getting into foul trouble and not able to find a rhythm. So the team is, you know, they were very transparent this offseason about if there's a deal that makes sense for both sides, they would move forward with it. So I was surprised when he has not been playing that much. I thought because he has lost the weight, you know, dropped 20 pounds from last season going mostly vegan, moving a lot better, not dealing with the inflammation, not dealing with the soreness in his knees. I thought we'd be seeing more of him. Maybe get a trade done earlier this season if teams were like, oh, look how good he looks in the first, you know, few weeks of the year. But we'll see what happens. It's still an ongoing question that at some point there'll be an answer. I can't tell you when. Yeah. He still strikes me, like you said, he is thinner, he is moving better. He still strikes me as the kind of guy that some team, at you know, maybe later in the season, maybe as they're moving in the second half of the year, is willing to take a shot at. Like, like you know what? He can still score in the post. There's still certain things he does well. He doesn't do other things well. We kind of know where where some of that lies. Let's see if we can bring some of that out of him and put him in better situations and use him in a role that works for us. I would, I would have to think that that team is out there at some point and is willing to give up a little and, and to to give that a shot. Yeah, look, Okafor's skill set isn't going to be a match for every team. No. I mean, there's you know there's a lot of teams that don't need their center to be so offensively minded and need the ball in his hands to be as productive. But I think as the season shakes out, I mean, it's so young, and as we're already seeing like a situation like three days into the season with Eric Bledsoe, and then we've already seen injuries, I think maybe the landscape of some teams could change or just discussions could continue. There is a there is a fit somewhere for Julia Okafor. It's not in Philadelphia, but it doesn't mean that he's not an NBA player. No, I think he I think he certainly is an NBA player somewhere. And, you know, it, like you said it's not going to be Philadelphia, but for the Sixers, hey, you are in for a fun season. Like this is going to be I just think that this is going to be a, uh, an interesting year for them. And like you said, I think they come on a little in the second half. The first, those schedules, the first couple months are, I mean, they start making some trips out West. They've got, it's, they're going to be in a little bit of a hole, but like you said earlier, the advantage is they're in the East. Like there is no hole you can't climb out of in that conference. Right. I mean, this is a year of opportunity for them. And especially when you, when you look at the Cavs and they're dealing with Isaiah Thomas's health, and then you look at the Celtics and they're dealing with, the Gordon Hayward situation, I'm not saying the Sixers are going to sneak in there and get the first you know, first and second seed, but there's a lot going on in the East where there's a lot of opportunity for, uh, for teams to move up. No, and I think you look at some of the teams that they're more likely competing with, like Charlotte. I, you look at that and you're like, by the end of the season, I would like to think Philadelphia can be better than Charlotte. I don't know if they're going to beat them in the, in the standings over the course of a season. Charlotte has some nice players, but that's a really banged up team right now without Batum and everything. And, and that's the kind of situation where you're like, they should be able to, by the end of the season, be better than, than teams like that and make the postseason. And then, hey, from 
that's a good learning experience, and you build off of that. And by the way, they still had about eight million picks left. <laughs> they do. They do. I mean, we can like are we already thinking about the off season now? Yeah, they're in good shape for for moving forward after this. Like you said, if they do make the playoffs, which I still think, despite their early struggles, is still attainable for them. Getting there, even if you lose, even if it's not a, a strong series. It's the experience that counts oh, yeah. young guys. Oh, definitely. Because playoff basketball, I, you can describe it and explain it, but it's just different in terms of the preparation and the kind of preparation. You're, you're drilling down deep on one team, and over the course of a season, you go into a game against a team, and you're like, hey, we know that so-and-so only, you know, hey, we know that Laurie Market only likes to go left, or we know whatever, whatever that thing is. We know this happens, and we can adjust... But in the playoffs, you go at that, and you exploit those, and you try to set up these mismatches in these situations where you go at whatever the weakness is for that team. It's, it's just a different experience and a, a different way. It teaches you really quickly where your weaknesses are and what you need to fill in as a team, too. And I, that for that reason, for a young team, it's a great experience. It is, and that's where the guys like an Amir Johnson and like a Bayless and a Reddit come in, where they're like, all right, even if you only get to the first round and you get eliminated after that, those guys can help get those players through everything that you just talked about. Yeah, exactly. It's just a different animal. Well, Jessica, thank you for doing this. Would you? Hopefully, we can have you back on this uh, as we move through the season and as the uh, Sixers start to start to roll up the standings in the second half, and, and you can gloat about how you're right about everything. Oh well, if that's the case, then sure, that sounds excellent. <laughs> cool. Uh, hopefully, I will see. <laughs> hopefully, I will see you soon. Take care of yourself. All right. Thanks. And thanks for having me on. Uh, of course. And thank you, everybody, again for listening. You can find Jessica's work at NBC Sports Philadelphia. You can find her online there. Look, they do really great coverage of the Sixers. And if you want to delve down and see the videos of this team, and this is obviously the the network that covers them locally, so they got a lot of great video clips. You can get all of that there. Uh, Of course, you can come back and check us out later this week and into next week as we continue through the... uh, through the NBA news cycle and talking all things NBA on the Pro Basketball Talk podcast at NBC Sports. Thanks again for listening. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 